The church is in trouble. You'd agree with that, wouldn't you? The trouble is that we're not taking our God seriously. What's the proof of that? Why that we're not taking his word seriously enough? And we're not making sure that our faith matches the teaching of Scripture. We don't even seem to be interested in finding out. That's not good enough. Maybe you call yourself a Christian, but do you know what Christian truth really is? Could you explain your faith? Do you base it on the Bible? Could you defend it against challenges? Faith is the most momentous reality that I can think of. We need to know what we believe. We need to be able to defend it when it's challenged. And we need to have reason for relying on it as a basis for our lives. This theologian, uh, J.I. Packer, claims that we as a society are not taking God seriously. We're not making sure our faith matches the teachings of Scripture. And he asks us, what is Christian faith? Can we defend it? And do we know what we believe? We live in the digital age where information is accessible on most of our pocket devices. We can ask Siri to look up more information in five seconds than I could fathom researching in an hour through encyclopedias, dictionaries, journals, and magazines. We all need to know, um, all, all we need to know are what the key words are that we're looking up, and we'll find the topic, we'll search it, and we can find thousands of results. The only limit that we have is our access to the Internet. It's pretty awesome. So in March, uh, my wife and I, we took a trip to Napa Valley in California, and I do like uh, alcohol, particular, particularly uh, red wine. Um, and we were interested in uh, the experience of learning how wine is made, how the grapes are harvested, and how to um, match different wines with different foods. We could have uh, bought our tickets and made a hotel reservation somewhere in the Napa or Sonoma Valleys and then went off of recommendations from people in our hotel on which vineyard we should visit. Um, and then, you know, we could have got a road map and tried to figure out how to get there. Um, but that would have been doing something like 10 years ago. Technology has advanced to where I can use Travel Advisor to search for the top wineries to visit which we did, and uh, we used Google Maps to plan visits to wineries that were close to each other. There wasn't really a lot of surprises. Uh, we made reservations to which vineyards we'd be able to get into. Everything was planned, because one of the things that I don't like to do when I'm on vacation is make plans. I, I don't like to get caught up in traffic. Um, I want to be able to just enjoy what I've planned, go do it. Um, you know, but, but we used our phones, our GPS to get around. And the thing is, it tells us what the traffic conditions are now. It, it'll tell you between this time and this time, 
you don't pretty much you don't want to travel because um, of whatever the normal traffic routes are. Um, so ultimately, this trip to Napa Valley it was a success, and it was because we had all the information we needed. It was free. A trip that might have taken much more time to plan 10 years ago didn't take near as long because the information available to us was immediate. I could look up whatever I wanted, about whatever vineyard, about whatever direction I needed. I didn't need to consult a travel agency. Um, how many of you use WebMD? I hate going to the doctor. Um, I hate it because it costs money and it takes time away from work. Um, and so anytime I, I have something going wrong with me, I search my symptoms on the web. I'll Google it. And, you know, a few months ago, I had this small little rash on my side. So I Googled it, and the results popped up under WebMD. And there were dozens of things that it could be, you know, just kind of describing my symptoms. Um, and it was pretty clear that it was going to go away on its own. It was kind of being described as a virus. But a few weeks went by. It didn't go away, and my wife, Laura, said, you need to go get that checked. And what the doctor said was, I don't know what it is. And they basically did the exact same thing I did, was they looked at my symptoms, and <laughs> um, they said, it's a virus. It'll probably go away on its own. And <laughs> eventually it did. But, I mean, how awesome is that? We can plan these great trips um, you know, with simple, simple Internet searches, and we can pretty much determine if we have cancer or not. You know, <laughs> information is just so accessible that we can find anything on the Internet. We can shop for houses, for shoes. We can pay our bills or we can even order our pills. We can connect on Facebook or share our thoughts on Twitter. We read blogs. We get the news. We watch Netflix with, and we have Hulu. And it's, it's just all there. It's hard for me to imagine the world without it. Um, and I, and I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't change it. But what happens when information is available to everyone is there can be difficulty in determining what information is reliable and truthful. Anybody can post anything on the Internet. People share their views and opinions, and people read them. So if someone's talking about God in a blog, and you Google the word God, and maybe you find that what that person is saying, and he might be explaining God, he might be encouraging someone about God, or he may not believe in God. And maybe his explanation for not having belief may be persuasive enough for someone to agree. Yeah, I don't believe in God either. That makes perfect sense. What makes a Christian any different than me? In fact, I know some that are worse than me. There might be a sense of wisdom in what's being discussed in this blog, but are the conclusions being discussed reliable and truthful? We live in the digital and information age. And with all this information, we have to admit that we do not know everything and we cannot know everything. It's not possible. But the problem, the problem is we often think we can know nothing with certainty. As if the variety of different opinions and perspectives are just that, opinions and perspectives. Feelings and emotions are what cause people to reach conclusions, and they may not be true. What I hear people say often is, that may be true for you, but I, I just don't agree. That's interesting. You feel 
that way. My opinion is different. And so the world turns. As long as I feel good about my conclusion, it's okay. And who are you to question that feeling of truth? There are also those who believe in scientism. This is the belief that scientific knowledge is the only source of verifiable knowledge or truth. These are people like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins. These are outspoken atheists who assume their logic is sound enough to discredit the experience of God. They speak confidently. They use logic and they use science in their discussions. People can find their discussions persuasive and thus believe in the information they discuss. Their logic points people of faith like us to, you know, they, they make... <clears throat> They don't want us to believe that if we don't accept their conclusions that we are stupid. To oversimplify the logic, they say, if you don't believe the same as me, you're stupid. And those who agree simply don't want to be viewed as stupid. They're concerned with the opinions of people who are seen as intellectual. And for me, I'm thrilled that we have some extremely intelligent people of faith because nobody wants to live in a worldview that's incompatible with reality. Those outspoken atheists I mentioned, they want people to assume that the way of faith is irrational and incompatible with the world in which we live. And people believe them. And some of you may be on the fence about God for this very reason. Is faith compatible with reality? Does it make sense? It brings us back to the question... Do you know what you believe? Can you defend it? What is the Christian faith? Our, our, our culture is heavily influenced by Christian tradition. We take for granted you know, many of the Judeo-Christian values that are present in our society, such as modesty, kindness, and peace. And what is, what is it in our culture that uh, influences the way you believe? How, you, how do you determine what is real? How do you know if the information you received is valid and truthful, not just an opinion or a feeling? Where does your wisdom come from? Where does your wisdom come from? These questions about our faith are important because one of the things we hold to as Christians is that God is real and he's visible through the person of Jesus Christ. This is not an opinion or a matter of feeling, but a result of historical happenings that have led so many people to believe that Jesus is the source of life. It is truth. Now we're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians. Um, and we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 13. I'm going to read from that. We do, however speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God distanced for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. 
The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. There are many teachers and perspectives on life, especially today with globalization. Ideas and people travel around the world consistently. We can receive wisdom from Buddhists, Hindus, Taoists, Muslims, Jews, spiritualists, poets, poets, physicists, biologists, philosophers, and atheists. People simply see the world differently, and they try to make sense of it, given the information and experiences they've had in life. But as believers, this wisdom is not what really matters to us. In verse 6, it says, yes, there's, there is a wisdom in faith, but it's not the wisdom of the world. It's different. Specifically, Paul was writing this letter in the first century in a world where thinking was influenced by Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and others. These philosophers were teaching people how to live. They attempted to provide a worldview. There was an emphasis on virtues and vices. What did it mean to live a good life? And what were the things people needed to avoid? Ultimately, the goal was to be delivered from a bad life into a better life based on reason. And if you or I were growing, in, growing up in Corinth, there would be different schools of thought similar to the different religions and philosophies people live by today. It was natural for people to seek a better life by living towards virtues. And it's not to say that everything taught by these philosophers was rubbish. For example, Plato saw the soul as immortal and separated from the body. This thought specifically and other thoughts from the Hellenistic philosophers, they have influenced Christian thought. And just as different religions and philosophies in the world will continue to influence Christian thought... But this doesn't change the message. In verse 6, Paul is thinking of these philosophies, which he is also influenced by and challenged by. He tells us that it's not this wisdom, the wisdom carried down from Socrates or Plato or Aristotle. It's not this wisdom that comes from God. This wisdom from these philosophers is not what we're declaring, and it's not the same thing. We're not a school of thought where virtue and vices are sought, the general consensus during Paul's time was that virtue was probably not fully attainable, but it required moral effort. And there was moral superiority by those who were able to attain these virtues. It might sound a little like the church, where we try harder to be more Christ-like, where we measure ourselves to others based upon our behaviors. We can find ourselves striving toward moral superiority. I won't drink, do drugs, or go with the girls who do. I won't talk about this person or think about that thing. It requires effort and striving toward virtue. Can you see how the schools of thought influence us, even today? How can we continue striving and hoping we're good enough? We continue to disappoint ourselves, and this is exactly why Paul tells us 
it is not the wisdom of this age. We are declaring God's wisdom, and this is very different. During Jesus' ministry, he kept talking about this advocate that would come after him. He would say things like, dude, I can't teach you everything, but because I'm God, I'm going to send an advocate for you after I leave. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he uh, met with his disciples, and at this rally he said, okay, I'm sending you guys. It's your turn. You guys need to go do something. But I'm not leaving you. I am sending you the Holy Spirit. So receive that Holy receive the Holy Spirit. And when Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, he wrote a letter to the Galatians, and what he wrote in uh, chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 was, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. It's this Spirit that was with Jesus in the desert for 40 days. It's this Spirit that came on Joshua after Moses died, allowing him to lead Israel. And it's this Spirit that came upon Saul as he led Israel. So what we have here is a world influenced by philosophies, different schools of thought. This is the spirit of the world. This is the spirit that tells us to work harder toward our virtues. Socrates would say that our soul is our intellectual and moral personality. We need to work on those things, get smarter, try harder, and maybe someday you'll live a better life. But Jesus says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, and I want you to walk by that spirit. Walk the way I walked. Do what I have done by walking in the Spirit, not according to the flesh, as Socrates or Plato would tell you to do. That's not my wisdom. That's the wisdom of the world. And I have overcome the world. Going back to our our main verse in Corinthians, in verse 7, Paul is telling the Corinthians, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have crucified the Lord of glory. In our society, we're still influenced by the thoughts of the Hellenistic philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. We strive toward a virtuous life based upon the reason and logic of people in our world. There's an intellectual atheist movement that wants to logically dismiss the reality of God. There are political groups that see the reality of God as too unaccepting, or at least, the lo- at least that's the logic they want you to believe. And maybe they want you to see God as a bigot or unloving or cultish, or more likely that if you have faith, you're an idiot. Remember, Paul tells the Corinthians the Corinthians, that Jesus was killed because the world didn't understand him. If they understood him, they wouldn't have killed him, right? If it would have made sense to them. But humanity continues to develop their own wisdom and to make sense of things that they don't really make sense of in a, in a way. And it's because we're acting on our own knowledge an understanding of things. We're acting in our own flesh. We think we know better. In the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve, 
don't eat from that tree. But the wisdom, the wisdom of the world, the serpent, told them, if you eat the fruit from the tree, you won't die. And this is what it says in Genesis 3.6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. So logically, the fruit is good. It looks really good. I'm just going to go ahead and eat it. That's pretty smart. Like, it makes sense. Fruit's there. Yeah, God said no, but logically, it's there. I'm going to eat it. So she would gain wisdom for doing this, just as the serpent told her. And we would call that worldly wisdom. And just as the fall of man came by seeking wisdom, the death of Christ came as a result of seeking the wisdom of our flesh. Even after they sought their own wisdom instead of God's wisdom, God continued to seek after them. In verse 8 it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God says, where are you? The the mistake that was made doesn't mean that we're over. In fact, now I have a lot of work to do, but Adam said I was naked, so I hid. When we seek wisdom of the flesh, and then we realize it later, we become afraid of God. We know we made a mistake, and it's hard for us to acknowledge it. The wisdom of this world failed us. Maybe you've sought after a career or a significant other for reasons you really can't explain. It felt right. The money was good. I loved her. There was no other option. But once you got the girl, you were miserable. Or once you landed the job, you realized that the money wasn't worth it. Or maybe it wasn't there. But you felt it was right, and it didn't work out. But let's go a little deeper. You went for the girl, maybe to sleep with her. You got the job by stealing or exposing others in the process. And we thought the means would justify the end result. We didn't want to hurt anyone, but it happened. How can God accept me now? I didn't didn't think that eating the fruit would make me hide from him. But when we make those mistakes, we do hide from God. It's hard for him to be the first person to go to when we make those mistakes. And it's the reason we don't live by the wisdom with which the world agrees. God wants us to be closer to him, not further away. And as Paul wrote in his first letter to uh, Corinth, in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, he says, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. God came in the flesh as Jesus, and now he has given us his spirit. In John 16... 13, it says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is the spirit we are to receive 
and the spirit we're to live by. Not the spirit of the world and its wisdom. Just as Jesus didn't fit into the wisdom of the rulers that crucified him, the wisdom that God will continue to grant is unknown. It doesn't make sense to the world. And continuing in his letter, looking at verses 9 and 10, it says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Nobody knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. This is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that is to guide us into truth. The one Jesus promised would be after him. So here's kind of where we're at. Our worldview, or the reasons we believe what we do, they're influenced by our culture. And that's neither good nor bad. It's just simply what influences our interpretation and understanding of who God is. And second, there's a wisdom of the world, and there's a wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world tears us away from God. The wisdom of God brings us closer to him. Third, that wisdom of God comes from the Holy Spirit, who Jesus promised would come and the one who would lead us. So we're to walk by the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, in verses 17 and 18, it says, Understand what the Lord's will is and be filled with the Spirit. This is the wisdom of God, be filled with the Spirit. And if you haven't heard this before, um, it might sound a little weird or complicated, but basically when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead our life, we desire to know God. We choose to listen instead of reason. We are on the side of mistakes instead of inaction. And we take, we take risks. The great commission of believers who want to declare God's wisdom, they remember what Jesus told his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, 18 through 20. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. God's with us, Emmanuel, and will continue to lead us with his Spirit. We're called to continue the story of Israel and the redemption of man. We do this by allowing God to control our lives, by seeking him, not the wisdom of this world. And, you know, in the video where J.I. Packer said, faith is the most momentous occasion I can think of, you know, in his nice English accent. But it really is. We are agents of change. We're here to change the world. We're not here to receive wisdom and teaching. You know, church is not about learning a school of thought or a philosophy. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit to act in the will of God. And we don't know what that is unless we're filled with the Spirit because only the Spirit knows God. We can't look at him and expect to understand and acknowledge everything about him. So remember, we live in the digital age where information is accessible 
immediately and abundantly. Ideas are present everywhere. And there's a plethora of philosophies to choose from. In the Garden of Eden, it's the world's wisdom that led man to fall. But it's God's God's wisdom that brings life. J.I. Packer made a few statements. He said, we're not taking God seriously. We're not taking his word seriously. And we're not taking, or we're not making sure that our faith matches the teaching of Scripture. Do you agree? I showed that because I do. (laughs) And do you believe God's teaching in Scripture that we're to be filled with the Spirit? Do you want your faith to match his word? I guess the other question is, do you want your faith to be a philosophy or an understanding and an acknowledgement or some idea about something that's not necessarily grounded in reality? Maybe you don't know what you believe or maybe you're here because you're seeking some sort of wisdom. But I'll tell you this. um, Generally, as as the church here at Wind River Community Church, um, this is not a place where we teach a school of thought where you can avoid vices and achieve virtues. We don't believe if you try harder, God will love you or that your life will get better. We don't believe Jesus was a great teacher. We do believe that Jesus is God. And we do believe the scripture is to be taken seriously. And we do believe the wisdom of God is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you're seeking after a virtuous life, I implore you to consider seeking after the wisdom of God to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to trust in the one whom Jesus sent us. Let's pray. And if your desire this is your desire, I pray that as we pray, that you would pray in your heart for this to, for you to make that decision, to be filled with the Spirit, to allow him to indwell within you, to not rest so heavily on your own logic and understanding of things, because it's that type of thinking that led us to the fall and ultimately lead you to your own fall. I mean, we'll all die, right? I mean, that's most likely going to happen unless something happens pretty soon here with Jesus coming back or something like that. But We're going to pray from Psalm 121. Um, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Lord, help us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
Show us your wisdom. Amen.